0: So this morning uh, uh, we are going to uh, dive into the scriptures this morning, and um, I don't have any slides prepared, and I, I don't have uh, anything really in front of me prepared. So, um. <laughs> yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Um, I got all kinds of sticky notes, as you guys know, it's my my sticky note Bible. Uh, so I want to, before we, we, before we dive in this morning and talk about fatherhood, which is what we're going to do this morning, uh, really, I, I want to pray uh, as we do this, because uh, as you guys know, um, what we do this morning, and, and, and Wendy shared uh, about it, and uh, she kind of mentioned it at the, at the beginning is that when we come in together as a corporate body, as, as, a, as a people uh, uh, that worship and that know Christ and that follow Christ and that, uh, who, have, who have decided to, to, to live for Christ... That when we come together, and we worship God, and that it comes in many different forms, right? It comes in so many different forms. Uh, the, our form of, of worship is through singing and singing songs and spiritual songs, as Paul said, and hymns. And our, our form of worship takes uh, the form of, you know, ministering to, to one another, to prayer, uh, to counseling, to advice, uh, to advising others, to, to, to being there for others, to care for others, to comfort others. And so also it is that our worship takes the form and expresses in such a way uh, when we uh, get into and read and study and apply our minds and our hearts and our spirits to the word of God and to the teaching of the word of God. And what God is saying uh, about himself, the only way we know what God says about himself is through his word. Everything that we know about God, he has chosen to reveal to himself, uh, to reveal to us about himself in his word. And so everything that we hear about God and hear from God, we're always going to bring back to his word to test it, to know if it is actually from God. And so God has a lot to say about fathers. God has a lot to say about fatherhood. God has a lot to say about the manner in which we are to conduct ourselves, men, as fathers, And so I just want to share a couple things with you this morning with regards to that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, God, for your word. Father, we thank you so much, God, that it is by your word that we gain full insight and full revelation as to who you are and who you claim to be. God, that it is in your word that it is your self-disclosure. It is you essentially, God, going on the stand and bearing witness to yourself about who you are. And so, God, I pray, Lord, as we go through the scriptures this morning, as we study, as we bring our mind and apply our mind and our heart and our soul and our spirit to the word, God, that you would bring a revelation, Lord, to us, God, that you would show yourself to be who you are, that you would bear witness to your character, to your love, to your grace, to your mercy, that Christ would reign supreme, God, that Christ would be magnified in our worship, God, as we read your word and that we would know you and understand you and come to a greater understanding and knowledge of who you are, that you would lead us into all wisdom. And God, that we would grow in the grace and the wisdom of your Son, Christ, as we apply ourselves to the word that he has given us. We thank you, God, for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so quickly, uh, just a a short title this morning for for what I'm going to share. This is really God's prescription for fatherhood. God's prescription for fatherhood. And I'm going to be in a couple scriptures. I'm going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, if you guys are taking notes. 1 Peter chapter 1, so you can turn there first. Uh, Then we're going to be in Titus chapter 3. And then we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And then finally in First John chapter 2. So let's start in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. This is what Peter says. <laughs> She's the queen of the hiccups. It doesn't matter what time of day, what, what's going on. She's constantly, it's so funny. Anyway. All right, let's begin. First Peter chapter 1, 13 to 16. This is what Peter says. He's admonishing the church uh, in being called to holiness. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And here we see, right here in 1 Peter chapter 1, the standard that God has set in his Son for the character uh, of, of a father, and dare I say, for the character of anyone who puts their faith in Christ. And for today, we're going to apply this specifically to fathers. God has called us as fathers, as men, as, as heads of households, to be holy as he is holy. Now, some of us may think to ourselves, I can't be that, right? I can't live up to the standard of God. I I can't be holy as God is holy. So why is it that God has called me to be holy as he is holy? A lot of times when we think of this idea of holiness, we think of God's moral purity, right? The sense that in God is Pure perfection in his character. That in him there's no deceit. He's incapable of lying. He's incapable of misleading. That everything that God does is in the perfect uh, understanding, in agreement with his perfect nature. And that he cannot violate that. But in holiness, what Peter really is referring to here is not so much moral purity. But apartness, or the sense of sacredness, or the sense of distinctness. See, holiness is conceived as our sights are set singularly on the object of grace, which is Christ. And so you may say to yourself, I cannot be holy. I cannot live up to the standard that God has set. And you're right, you can't. No father can live up to the standard that God has set for us. But it is that we would uh, strive to do that, strive to live in the accord of which God has called us to only through the grace of Christ. It is as we set our affections on the grace of Christ and all that he has accomplished for us, it should charge the Christian, the Christian dad. It should, it, it should uh, encourage us. It should lead us into a life where we strive and desire holiness as fathers. So you see, we can never be holy like God, but in the grace of Christ, as we set our affections on him, he gives us the desire and the yearning to set the same example, and dare I say, set that same example for our children. It's the evidence of one's hope that applies the mind to produce right living. Look what Paul says here. I mean, what Peter says here. He says, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of, That will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. There is a future grace that's coming for every Christian who has put their faith in Christ. That future hope and that future grace comes when Jesus returns for his bride. That future hope and grace comes when we understand that we live in eternity with him. When he makes a new heaven and a new earth and brings them perfectly together in which we will dwell. And so Peter is saying, set your hope on the glory that is in Christ when he comes again. Set your hope on that and let the grace of Christ allow your minds to be prepared. Allow your minds to be sober so that you can bring honor and glory to God as a father. This idea of soberness or sober minded is the sense that we have an ability to efficiently evaluate our lives before God. That we see the standard that God has set and that we can honestly evaluate our lives before him, that we can live in a sense of self-control and obedience to God. He says, be sober-minded. And so it is that in our sober-mindedness, we are drawn to the grace of Christ and all that he's done. And he says, be holy, for I am holy. And so for fathers, this sense of holiness That we are to possess is this sense that as God is distinct and apart in his love and in his mercy and in his grace and his forgiveness, so it is that we are to be the same. So it is, fathers, that we are to operate with the same distinctness in our love and in our grace and our forgiveness of our children. God has called us not to be of the world, but to be set apart from the world. In other words, we do not father like the world fathers. We do not uh, agree with the systems that the world has set up in order to pursue good habits in fatherhood. See, God's word surpasses any wisdom that we can get from the world with regards to how we are to be the fathers that God has called us to be. He says, you have been called out. You have been set apart. You are distinct, fathers, and you are distinct. Why? Because you rely on the grace of Christ for the the ability to show your grace and your love and your mercy and your forgiveness. See, we are not to love our children like the world loves. We are to offer in abundance forgiveness and mercy and grace. And so it is that is the charge for every father this morning. We are to bear witness to the character of Christ in our fathering. As fathers, we are to bear witness. We are to be the evidence of Christ's living in us through the Holy Spirit by the way we father our kids. Paul puts it like this, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. Fathers, be imitators of Christ and walk in love. Walk in love. That word walk, guys, is is the sense that it is, that it it epitomizes your life. When you walk in love, it means that you are completely overwhelmed with love for your kids, that God. The, the love of Christ is so saturated in your heart that you cannot do anything else but express a tremendous amount of unrelenting love for your children. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Here we see the grace of Christ and how it is that we are to father and love our kids. How is it that Christ has shown the supreme understanding of love? How is it that he has shown how much he loves us? How is it that we can see in scripture the way Christ has most uh, expressed his love for us, his extravagant and steadfast love for us? How is it that he has shown that? Paul says, By giving himself for us. And in the same way, fathers, we are to give ourselves for our kids. Whether they're children, whether they are teenagers, whether they are adults. The responsibilities that come along with fathering and fatherhood never cease in the life of those that God has called to be a father. And those who live in Christ and seek to reflect the character and the nature of Christ in their fatherhood. That is what Paul says, that we are to be imitators. We are to be imitators of Christ in everything we do. So how is it that we reflect the character of Christ? Well, the scriptures have a lot to say about that. And Titus Chapter 3, verses 3 to 5 it says this. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit. This idea of, of goodness. This is an example for us as fathers uh, to latch onto. This is an example uh, that we should be able to understand in that we have been given this goodness and loving kindness from God. And so it is as we are given this goodness and kindness from the love of God and through Christ, it is the same way that we reflect that to our own children. And this idea of, of goodness that, that, that Paul speaks of here is this sense of staggering generosity. Staggering generosity with mercy. Staggering generosity with forgiveness. Staggering generosity with the grace that has been given to us and so it is that we do the same with our kids if we are going to be fathers reflecting the character of Christ, we will operate in a staggering generosity towards them. This idea also sort of brings to mind the sense of providing all that he has determined in the fullest measure. So in other words, Christ has not held back anything as he goes to the cross for me and you. He has not held back anything. He is not deficient in his grace or his mercy. He's not loving us half-heartedly. And so we are to do the same with our kids, with our children as fathers. We are to not love half-heartedly. We are not to express forgiveness half-heartedly but we are to express with full measure all that God has given us through and into our children. It is his grace and mercy that we are to express in the fullest of measure, not withholding from them. So as we parent and as we grow and as we raise, it is as we are focused on uh, the life and the death and the sacrifice of Christ On our behalf, it is that that encourages us, that spurs us on, and that calls us into this idea of goodness and and providing all things in full measure for our kids. He says that the goodness and loving kindness of God is most richly and vividly expressed In Christ's coming and and saving us. in this idea of loving kindness is this sense of commitment, fathers. Commitment and steadfast, loyal, covenantal, uncompromising love. It is the sense that we are to be perfected in our devotion to our children. As Christ has perfected his devotion through the cross so we are to perfect our devotion to our kids in all that we are raising. And that is in one way, in some way, how we reflect the character of Christ. What's another way that the scriptures show us and encourage us to be holy before our kids? If you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it also shows us how it is that Christ came in the manner in which Christ came and how it is that we are to draw on his example as fathers. Such an amazing passage. It says here in in Philippians chapter 2, it says, and being found, and this is uh, describing the condescension of Christ to the earth as the Messiah, It says here, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what is the example of humility? How is it that we are to understand how to walk in humility with our children? It is simply by looking at Christ and how he came and humbled himself when he came to earth. We have to understand something about Christ when he comes to the earth, that it is in every way a humiliating act. It is Christ coming down. And the scriptures say here he was being found in the human form. Now, in the Greek, this idea of form is sort of an outer appearance. And what Paul is saying here is when Christ came, everyone saw him as a man, not as God. And they rejected him as the Messiah. When he came, he came in the form of a man, although he was truly man, And truly, God, if he wasn't, he could not go to the cross and sacrifice completely for us and redeem us and buy us back and reconcile us to God and bring us into a loving relationship with the Father. If he is not fully God and fully man, truly God, truly man, he cannot do that. But Paul says that when he came, he came in the form of a man. In other words, when people looked upon him, all they saw was a man. They didn't see God. They saw a man, and so they treated him like a man. And we have to understand something, that Christ, when he comes as a man, it is the most humiliating act that he can participate in, yet he does it willingly in order to live in complete obedience to the Father. He comes as a man, as God. And it says he empties everything out of himself. He empties his glory. He empties his uh, his all of his heavenly, uh, you, know, you know, provisions, all of his rights, all of his responsibilities, he empties it all to come as a Messiah to die. And it says he comes in the form of a man, and everyone saw him that way, and he humbled himself. He was so humble, and he expressed uh, the most superlative humility in dying. I mean, think about this for a moment. God dies for you. He comes humbled, low. He doesn't come looking for the, uh, the um, acc- acclamations of men. He doesn't, he doesn't come looking for the, uh, you know, for the acceptance of men. He doesn't come in a way that is profound. He comes humbly, and when he comes, he has to borrow everything, even though everything is his. We know that the scriptures say that the world was created through Christ so that everything in the world comes through him, that he is the source and the fountain of everything that we enjoy. Everything was created through him in the sense he is the source of all things and everything was created for him, from him through him, for him, all of it. And yet this same man, the same God, comes humbled, owning nothing, having nothing, possessing nothing, yet all is his. Talk about humility. When he comes, he has to borrow a manger. He even has to borrow food for his miracles. The bread's not even his. The fish isn't even his. He has to borrow it from a boy. He has to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem for everyone to hail him as king. He has to borrow a place to rest his head every night. And he ultimately has to borrow a grave to be buried in. He had nothing. He had nothing because he chose to have nothing. Even though everything belongs to him. It is the ultimate act of humility. He did not consider the glory he shared with the Father in heaven something to be retained. But he took on poverty. He took on obscureness, And he submitted in ultimate humility, even to death. God who is eternal. God who is everlasting. God who is there is no end and no beginning. God that from the very uh, dawn of eternity has uh, proclaimed and has declared everything to come to pass that will come. That from the very beginning, he's declared the end. But yet he comes and dies. He comes and dies in humility. And not only that, he comes and dies on a cross. The cross was a death that was just reserved for the criminal. For the lowest man. For the scorned. For the reviled. He not only dies a death, but on a cross. It is the lowest form of humility. And so it is... Fathers, in his submitting to weakness, as he submits to the Father in all humility, so it is he sets for us the model for you, for me, and how we are to father our children in all humility. Ephesians 6. Verses 1 to 4. So fathers, we are to act in accord with the holiness of God and the character of God and how it is that we show loving kindness to our children, how it, is that we, uh, how it is that we express this tremendous grace to our children, this unending and unrelenting grace and mercy and forgiveness to them. It is the loving kindness and goodness of God that draws us into the grace of Christ that enables us and and, and provides the source for us to want to do this. It is also that Christ comes in complete humility from his glory to the earth to die that we see the example set for us. And then Paul gives us this instruction. He says this, Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, he says, children, listen up. Obey your parents. Where are you out there, all you children? Listen up. Obey your parents in the Lord. So as we understand the instructions of God As we read the word of God, as we understand the truth of Christ that's been given to us through his revealed word, it should cause our children that if we are bringing them up, and I'll share this in a second, in the instruction and in the discipline of Christ and through his word, it should be the desire of our kids to obey us. And that is very, to be honest with you, countercultural right now. I've had this conversation with many parents in this church that at every turn, in every way, this culture is in some way teaching our kids to undermine the parental authority. And when I talk about how we as fathers are not to draw our examples from the ways of the world, but through the truth and the knowledge of Christ, this is in a way very applicable to where we are right now that the word of God and the word of Christ says there is an authority over you and it is your parents and it was put there through the providence of God. And so don't relinquish to the cultural narrative that says you do not have anyone authority over you, but you must submit as Christ has submitted to the Father in all humility. Children submit to the authority of your parents. Children so often are taught and have been shown in example after example, whether it's through media or literature or through the school system, the educational system, that the authority of their parents is continually being depreciated and devalued. And that is why we must cling to the truths of Christ Because it is in the truth of Christ, it is in the obedience to Christ that we understand proper authority and that we have been given proper authority over us to discipline and to teach and to show and to follow. And so as we are in obedience to Christ, children, you are in obedience to your parents. There is, that is so antithetical to the culture that we live in today. And then he goes on to say, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Going back to Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God says, honor your mother and your father because God has given them to you to shepherd you, to shape you, to grow you, to, to, to um, walk alongside you to bring you and usher you into all the fullness of the truth of Christ. And then he says, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. If you want to prosper relationally, if you want the blessing of God in your life, if you want a healthy relationship with your parents' children, you will honor the commandments of God and he will usher you into a life of fullness with your parents. Then he says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. And in Colossians, Paul puts it this way, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Ooh, I know I am guilty of that once a week. I'm just being perfectly honest with you. So oftentimes we want to serve our own desires as fathers and exert our authority. And we do it unnecessarily sometimes. And Paul says, be careful, fathers. Be careful. Do not provoke your children. Do not provoke them to anger lest they be discouraged. And this idea here, in, in this word, this, this this idea of provoking is this, this idea of stirring up or arousing. In other words, do not be the reason for their behavior. Do not be the reason for their anger. Do not be the reason for their discouragement. And Paul puts it like this in Ephesians. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This, this idea, uh, uh, this, this, this word, but, we talk about this all the time. It's this conjunction, right, in the English language. It's a, liter- it's a literary term that really uh, offers this idea of contrasting. So Paul here is contrasting. Between these two things, he says, do not do this, but do this. Do not provoke unnecessarily your children and discourage them, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. In other words, when you root yourself in the discipline and the instruction of Christ, you will prevent provoking your children to anger and discouragement. But when you stay steadfast and loyal and you show fidelity to the word of God and to the truth of Christ, it will ultimately produce in your children a healthy understanding of discipline and instruction. And this idea of discipline is education or training up or nurturing with the view of correction. It is so often not easy to correct our children, and oftentimes we do it in just to assert our own authority, fathers, but the word says, Paul says, do it with all humility, do it with all fairness, but do it so that they would understand how it is to live a life honoring to Christ. And this word instruction is simply warning or admonishing. We are to warn them. We are to warn them of the dangers if they are not to follow Christ. If they are not to follow the truth. We are to warn them if they are not to honor us. And so we do it with gentleness and fairness and lovingness, as Paul has shown us. And finally, first John 2:15. John says this about the example that we are not to follow and the example we should. We've already established that in First Peter, he says, to be holy, as he is holy, that we are to be holy as God is holy, and that we are to reflect the character of Christ as a father. But listen to how John puts it. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So fathers, when we are looking for an example for our fatherhood, we are not to look to the world. We are not to look to the world system. We are not to take the advice and the counsel of the world. Because God's truth is comprehensive, it is sufficient, it is complete in all its instruction for us. We do not need to go out there, we do not need to rely on the educational system or the counseling system. We do not need to rely on anything that the world offers in order for us to be instructed on how to father our kids. It is all contained exclusively Through the word of Christ. He said, what's out there is just simply the desires of the flesh. And what he means by that is, is, man, if you you are going to be a father, you know, in in the way of the world, if you are going to reflect the world in your fatherhood, then oftentimes you're just going to feed your own desire. You're going to feed your own desire for authority. You're going to feed your own desire for your children to come under you. But you're going to do it not with their best intention in mind, but you're going to do it uh, half-heartedly and manipulatively. You're going to want to desire your own flesh. You're going to want to, you're going to, want to please your own flesh in your fatherhood. And then he says, it is the, not only the flesh, uh, the desires of the flesh, but the desire of the eyes. In other words, when we are living in accord with the system of the world, we look at other things and we want them. We covet them. We want them for ourselves. And fathers, it's so easy to look at examples out there and say, you know, I, I want to be like that. I, I want to be a father like that. And so we often get, get provoked into this comparison. Where we, we want to just, we, we, we desire the things that we see. And, and, and Christ is saying, don't desire the things and don't look at the things of the world and desire them and covet them. But look to me to instruct you as a father. Look to me. And then, and then finally he says, what is in the world? It is the pride of life. It is this, this sense that as fathers we often want to elevate ourselves above everything else that we in some way want to play God with our family. That's essentially what the pride of life means. It, it means elevating yourself to a status in a rank that is, that is not yours. It is, is in a sense, elevating yourself to a status in a rank that is Godlike. That's what Paul is referring to here. That's what or John is referring to, here. that's what he's trying to say. And he says, if you're going to follow the ways of the world in your fatherhood, you're just going to constantly want to elevate yourself to a rank that is not yours. And you're going to constantly bring your kids under this submission that is unhealthy. But how is it that we are to father? It is through the instruction of Christ. We are not to seek or to serve our own passions in our fatherhood. But we are drawn into a life of humility and, dare I say, repentance. Turning when we have wronged our children. Admitting when we have made mistakes. Admitting to them and coming humbly to them asking for forgiveness. That is the model that Christ has set in his humility. Not that Christ has needed forgiveness for anything. Let's get that straight. Christ doesn't need to ask for forgiveness for anything. But the model in which he has set in humility requires from us repentance, fathers. And so it is that when we wrong our kids, when we, when we violate them, and when we unjustly punish them or correct them, that we must come to them in humility and repent. So we are not to serve our own passions, but we are to deal and demonstrate the richness of Christ in his loving kindness with patience and generosity. And I'll end with this. Fathers, may your rebuke be redeeming. May your admonishing be affectionate. And may your discipline be considerate. That is how Christ has called us to Father. It is through the grace that He has shown us in the amazing, loving kindness that He has demonstrated for us. The humility that He has drawn Himself to on our behalf. This is the prescription. For fatherhood, this is how we will train our children, whether they're young, high schoolers, adults. We will train and instruct and admonish them in the ways of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.